Good morning, brothers and sisters. So glad to see you again, face to face. Hopefully this, is, this time has taught us that a TV, a computer, is not church. And we long to be together, and this is just a wonderful privilege to be to be able to hear your voices while we sing, to see your faces while we preach. You are the church, not just us standing up here preaching. Our text today is from 1 Peter chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I hate to have to shut my Bible. It's going to blow all over the place. Before we, get, we begin, let's pray that God's Spirit would be upon every one of us. God, today is Pentecost. It's the day that we celebrate Your Spirit finally, after thousands of years, coming to rest upon Your people. To rest on Your people and never leave again. Because we have been cleansed by the blood of the one righteous man, our Lord Jesus. And now Your Spirit lives in us to help me proclaim Your truth, to help these beloved brothers and sisters, friends, to hear Your truth and to receive Your truth. God, we've been living in a crazy world right now, making many of us uncomfortable in many ways, and we ask that You would, as the Spirit has rested upon us, You would rest our hearts more in Christ by this Word. Bless us that we may glorify the name of our King, Jesus. Amen. The last couple of months have been quite bizarre, haven't they? Season of life where a virus is spreading worldwide, causing fear, creating isolation, really exposing the ugliness of the brokenness we have in striving for safety and comfort in all the wrong places. Combine that with underlying tensions and, and animosities between people groups and that have never really found resolution. And over the last week, our country, particularly our state, has erupted in an outburst of people crying out for help. I'm sure that 
Most of you have heard by now that this week a black man in Minneapolis named George Floyd died at the hands of a police officer, arresting him for who knows what. That officer did not have to take that man's life into his own hands. And it's a tragic scene that deserves full justice as quickly as possible. But this was just a spark that ignited an already volatile powder keg in our nation. Since the moment George Floyd cried out to his mama to come and help him, saying he couldn't breathe anymore, his heart was giving out, his lungs weren't working, whatever it was, it, it ignited a flame in our state, in the city of Minneapolis. And many cities around the nation falling into anarchy as a result of it. As people, rioters and looters, destroy and pillage. Entire neighborhoods burn to the ground. Apartment buildings, grocery stores, pharmacies, restaurants, Target stores, auto parts stores. Nothing escaping the fury of the storm of these rioters. And admittedly, I'm caught up in just a swing of all kinds of emotions. Not knowing exactly what's true, but hearing from multiple friends on all sides, just a level of despair. I have black friends who feel despair right now uh, since all their negative experiences from their past rushing to the forefront of their minds, not knowing where they live anymore, who they are. I have two black children, yes, at their very young ages, already wondering what does it mean to be raised in a white family. Some people very dear to me have been called to the National Guard to jump into these riots and try to restore peace. Many, many friends of mine live within blocks of the worst of these riots. Stores that I shopped at, burning to the ground, It all seems so senseless and hopeless. But there's something very instructive in all of these events for every one of us that should make us long for more of Christ. Long for Him to return and to fill us with compassion and boldness to jump into the fray and do something about it. These riots and protests aren't really all that senseless at all if you understand the story of Scripture, as Peter has been recounting for us through his whole letter. He's been telling us about this identity of Israel. We are to take upon ourselves Christ's identity as exiles in this world. And the more we see that, the more we embrace that identity, the more we can see what it is God is doing even right now. The more we perceive the world the way Jesus does, the less surprised we are by these things, the less frantic we become about them, and the more we understand what we ought to be doing and saying. So, in God's sovereign providence, He has brought us to 1 Peter chapter 4 today to give us wisdom for this moment. Peter's telling us that suffering in this world calls us to rejoice in Christ's return and His coming justice. Rejoice in Christ's return and His coming justice. We'll look at those two things 
in two separate sections, verses 12 to 15, try to make sense of the senseless here by looking to Christ and His glorious eternal joy. What's going to be revealed to us that what the day He returns? Everyone's looking in this world for peace, for meaning, for purpose, but it can only be found in Christ and His kingdom to come. And then when our hearts are satisfied in that, Verses 16 and 19 encourage us to entrust our souls to God's faithful gospel mission. Justice is coming, friends. And that's not really good news for everyone. So let's look to the text again and find God's wisdom for us today. Here in this text we find that we should rejoice in suffering, anticipating Christ's glorious eternal joy. Let's read it again. Verses 12 to 15. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. I read this week that Martin Luther King Jr. once said, a a riot is the language of the unheard. I had to wrestle a lot with that quote. He said, "A a riot is the language of the unheard as he called to America to wake up from the injustices he saw and our nation perpetuated. There's a lot in that quote and behind that quote that can be misused and abused. And I don't want for one second want to justify, excuse riots just because people feel unheard or oppressed. But as I listened to that, heard that quote and studied this text, I couldn't help but realize there is a little bit of an element of truth for us to think about. Peter's telling us that we shouldn't be surprised by this. Don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised by injustice. Don't be surprised by evil. The word surprise in Greek very literally means some emotion that results from strange circumstances. Strangeness. He, ex- he emphasizes this later in the verse as though something strange were happening. It's almost like the same word repeated. We shouldn't be surprised of this because we are aware more than anyone how this world has operated since the fall. Hatred, malice. Slander, injustice, prejudice, selfishness, more, more of these terrible things are part of the human experience. And for some people to a much greater degree. This isn't strange, it's actually quite normal since Adam and Eve first disobeyed God. But there's something deeper even at the root that we all need to understand that shouldn't surprise us. A riot is the language of the unheard because we all have this father hunger inside of us. We're all born with a desire to be protected, cared for, known, loved, heard by God. And our entire lives are spent striving to get those desires satisfied in anything but God. And the world is just full of failed examples of God's provision and protection 
people that should be reflecting His care and protection are abusing it. Now imagine yourself growing up in a world where earthly fathers are largely absent. Politicians continue to promise you to provide for you like a good father. The police who have sworn to protect you like a father always treat you like a suspect. People on the other side of town look at you like you're irresponsible because you can't take care of yourself. It's your fault this is happening to you. If something bad happens to someone in your community, especially at the hands of someone who's supposed to be modeling God's protection for you, you would feel utterly hopeless as well. What's the point of living? Every time I try to build up my community, it's destroyed anyway. Might as well burn it all down and take what I can while I have the chance. Even at some point, genuine offers of love and affection will be rebuffed. Like an orphan, fighting, rejecting, hating the love of her adopted family. Because she's known nothing except people ignoring her. Everyone just wants to have a name. Everyone wants to be known and loved and heard. And when you're not heard long enough, you just give up. There's no justification in this for rioting, looting, ravaging, and pillaging. But if you know the design of man and the, how far we've fallen, the sinful human condition, we shouldn't be surprised. None of this is strange. It's actually quite normal. And Christians are people who, because we know the fallen condition, the broken world, we know that God is in control, we know that we have a heavenly home waiting for us, we're actually quite comfortable with how strange this world is. Even willing to invite it right into our homes. Just up in verse 9, what Jake preached on last week, Peter told us to be hospitable. That word hospitable literally is love of stranger. Love of stranger. We can love the stranger, the broken, the hurting, the desperate, the oppressed, the orphan, because when we were strangers, God came to rescue us and invite us into His home. Jesus is the only one who was never a stranger to God. He was always truly known by the Father, completely satisfied in His love forever, given a name above every name, beloved for all eternity. That's what every single one of you wants. To be known. But He came to earth to experience what it's like to be unheard. He cried out on the cross in His pain, in His suffering, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Where are You, Father? And there was silence. Nobody responded. No affirmation. No well done, My beloved Son. Yet, Yet he didn't riot. He didn't fight back. He didn't take what rightfully belonged to him. He willingly took the rejection as punishment for the sins of all who refused God's fatherly love so that 
when you trust in Him, in His resurrection, we can receive the blessings that come in His name. His name becomes a banner over us. And we are welcomed into His family. If you're in Christ, you look at all these events, not with judgment and dismissal, but with compassion. Because before God, you were just as desperate. You longed to be heard and known, but you were just an orphan. Told lies by a pretend father, Satan, who whispered in your ear that nobody cares about you. And you believed him. It took Christ coming out of His heavenly home into our darkness to rescue us so we could finally have a name. We could finally be known and loved and welcomed into His forever family. His family, His kingdom, where justice reigns and joy abounds. It's what we all long for. And if we're in Christ, we can rejoice no matter the circumstances, even if our house is burning down. Because our place of eternal glory is secure in Christ. Our joy in Him is guaranteed. That's why Peter can say in verse 13 to rejoice in suffering. Suffering injustice or failing health or mockery for following Jesus only confirms in our hearts that this world is not our home. Trials in life only shape our hearts to want to be with Him more. It stretches our hearts to be bigger so that on that day when He returns, we are going to experience even more fullness of His joy. Imagine two believers Faithful believers, one raised in a a good, solid, healthy Christian home with very little to strive to overcome. And the other who had to battle for breath every day, desperate, alone, poor, hungry, battling with addictions and temptation. But yet, both remain faithful to the end. Which one of them is going to explode in an uncontrollable outburst of joy? I remember the day I graduated from seminary as a day of un- uncontainable emotion. Seminary was really hard for my family in a lot of ways. We just wanted to quit. It see- The end seemed so far off and it all seemed... Pointless. But that day that graduation came, I couldn't hold back the tears. It was just such a wonderful moment realizing God brought us through. We made it. He is so faithful. And He has prepared us for even greater things to come. Peter says that in Christ, the Holy Spirit rests upon you. He rests upon you to take suffering in your life and make you less satisfied with this world. Make you less enamored with toys and trucks and careers and popularity and riches. And say, I want nothing more than Jesus. It's Him I long for. And the flood of joy will release the day He arrives. It will be extraordinary. The Spirit rests on, resting on you means He will never leave you. This is the place He intended to come and stay, right in your heart. Assuring you that 
God's fatherly protection is perfect. It's forever. So Peter can say in verse 15, when suffering comes upon you, you don't need to respond in, with killing, stealing, destruction, and manipulation. Those things will only give people more reason not to listen. You don't need to fight like an orphan, push away the love. You don't need to lash out at injustice and throw the world upside down because your heart is already satisfied to be known and loved by God in Christ. And with a heart satisfied like that, then eager for the eternal joy with Christ and His glory, we can begin to see that our mission here on earth, the reason God keeps us in this world of suffering, is so that we entrust our souls to God's faithful gospel mission. Let's read again verses 16 to 19. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Remember last week, Jake reminded us of Christ's imminent return. Verse 7 said, the end of all things is at hand. Jesus could come at any moment. Don't wait until tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation. Every moment of suffering is a reminder. Now is the time to trust Christ. You could be home in an instant. Your life could end now. Don't be ashamed. Of Christ. Don't be afraid of suffering. It will be done sooner than you can think. Glorify His name in your life, eager for His soon coming return. You know what happens when He returns. Verse 17 says it's time for judgment to begin. That means God is going to do His work of setting things straight. Justice is coming. Justice, meaning good, is going to be rewarded. Evil is going to be punished. All the upside-down, broken things of this world are going to be flipped right-side up and fixed. When we witness something sad, terribly sad, like a police officer kneeling on a man struggling to breathe, it's right to long for justice. So people are calling for a killer to be arrested and locked up for the rest of his lives. There's an internal sense they want justice. Many are calling for these large-scale, sweeping societal changes. How we enact justice in this world. They want to eradicate injustice in society where some people seem to just start off life with many disadvantages and others get all of the benefit of the doubt. Just based on which family you're born into. These desires for justice are good, but again, if you know biblical history, you know that these desires will never be satisfied in this world. No society was going to eliminate injustice. Many crimes are going to go unsolved. Many oppressed voices will never be heard in this life. We should call out injustice when we see it, but the church is not called to eliminate it all in our social system. 
we recognize that this world needs to be remade. Only in the new creation will justice, peace, and joy be fully experienced. And throughout history, we see when we read the Bible that new creation always comes through judgment. God must destroy the old and bring in the new. Something apparently the rioters seem to understand innately, but they don't have the righteousness to rebuild. Only God has that. And that righteous judgment is coming when everything that was hidden will be revealed. Every unsolved crime will be brought to justice. Every unheard plea for help will finally be heard. Doesn't that sound like wonderful news? It is good news. But this judgment is going to be so thorough down to every bitter thought and every hidden attitude that not a single person in this world can avoid condemnation. All of us are going to face it and not a single one of us stands a chance of surviving. So every cry for ultimate justice in this world is both a good longing for things to be made right and an unintentional self-conviction. Only in Christ can we survive. He's the only one who had no sin, yet took upon Himself the sins of all who trust Him. The Father raised Him from the dead because injustice can't keep down the Son of God. He promises that all who trust with, trust in Him will rise with Him to find their justice and salvation. Probably not in this world, but certainly in the one to come. This salvation comes at a great cost. It requires the death of an old world. It requires the death of your old life. It requires the death of the Son of God. That's what Peter says when he means, what he means when he says in verse 18 that the righteous is scarcely saved. The word scarcely doesn't mean that some of you might not make it. It emphasizes the great cost, the difficulty of surviving the coming judgment because the path is narrow. Only those who put their trust in Christ will survive. But we too must go through the fires. Which is why he says in verse 17, the judgment begins in the household of God. It began when your sins were placed on Christ and they were judged fully and you were declared righteous. And it continues in your life as suffering comes into your life, not to punish you, but to purify you. The imagery here is of a refining fire. Suffering is purifying. It burns away the old parts of your life. They die off so that you can more fully embrace the new life to come. Suffering is God's good gift to make us more like Christ. And one way that we become like Christ, that suffering makes us like Christ, as we said, it fits our hearts to delight in the day of His return even more. But another way it makes us like Christ is fitting us for faithful gospel mission right now. It gives us a heart of compassion that Christ had when He walked up to the city of Jerusalem and wept knowing their impending doom. Is that the heart you have as you watch the news lately? 
sadness for what they are about to meet. Peter's saying in verse 18 that very few are going to survive the coming judgment. That is such a sobering thought that should lead your heart to want to offer the hope and the peace that you have to as many people as possible. But the difficulty of that salvation should also make us stop and realize, I have nothing. I can do nothing to fix this. Leaves us in a place begging God, please, you say your spirit is in me. Help me do something. Use me on your faithful mission to save as many as possible. And so Peter ends by saying in verse 19, if you want to see justice, if you want to see this world transformed, entrust your soul to God. Not just to survive the suffering, not to survive the coming judgment, but to be equipped and sent to rescue others from despair. Entrust your soul to God on His mission to proclaim victory for the oppressed, justice for the offended, love for the fatherless. Don't sit back and watch the pain unfold in destruction and justification, but give your life as Christ did to enter into it, into the suffering and despair, and bring others with you through the refiner's fire. So how do we do that? Redemption City Church, what can we do? If we're not called to be political activists, what are we called to be? Today's Pentecost Sunday, the day we celebrate the Spirit coming down on us to empower us for His Gospel mission. It's the one day a year that we like to stop and emphasize global missions. And I kind of had to tweak my sermon a little bit based on my heart's wrestle yesterday. But we are still sent to proclaim the gospel to every nation. And I want to give you just three things to consider the different levels of this mission that we need to be on. First, very personally, what is in your heart? What is God's mission in your heart? Secondly, what's the mission of our local area? And finally, global to the ends of the earth. So how are you going to respond first, personally, to the suffering around the world today. The response to the pandemic and the death of George Floyd has brought to the surface all kinds of pent-up frustration. People arguing, people who say that they love one another, fighting over disagreements of all the details. All of this should re make us realize how far short we all fall from God's standard. We should realize how weak and vulnerable Every one of us is. We live in the strongest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world, and God has brought us to our knees in a moment. So we should each see these trials, these quarantines, these riots, everything you fear as an opportunity to drive you to repentance and faith in Christ. Turn away from everything you've pursued in this life. Anywhere you've tried to find hope, for peace, trust, and for justice, desire to be loved and find it only satisfied in Christ. Let these difficulties just make you less and less satisfied with this world and find only satisfaction in Jesus. No, He's stretching you. That you would have abundant joy on the day His glory is revealed. 
Let it make you more confident in His promises to boldly speak to your neighbor about Jesus and what He's done for you. If there's anything that difficulty in my life, marriage struggles, adoption challenges, ministry to hurting people, housing crises, failing health, it's all taught me that I'm done with this world. i got nothing here except beloved brothers and sisters that I want to see make it to that day of joyful glory. It's taught me that I need to just be bold to proclaim the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Let God do that work in you. Let these trials be an instrument in God's hand to accomplish the same in your heart. Second, we need to get on mission locally. What's happening in Minneapolis is the result of brokenness, hopelessness, fear that's lurking all around us. It's everywhere. Rochester's not immune. Rochester's got immigrants and refugees from around the world struggling to feel known and loved. People fall into addiction and can't escape because they feel like nobody cares about them. They'll never get out. You might think that racism is a thing of the past, but ask a black friend if you have one. Make a black friend. Ask them if anyone has ever said anything insensitive or stupid to them and just close your mouth and patiently listen as they list myriads of ways that people have assumed things about them. The disadvantages they feel. Just listen to the minorities in our city as they struggle to feel at home here. Our job's not to explain them away, but simply to listen to a people who feel constantly trapped, pushed aside, unable to help, always told, you had it coming. I want to be clear that I'm, again, not arguing for social reforms, because our local mission is different. We're going to wait for that airplane. The calling on the church is not simply worldly reform. We know this world is not going to get it right until Jesus comes back. So until then, our job is to listen, affirm their longing to be heard, call out the evil, and give them a better hope. Give them a better hope in Christ and His kingdom to come. Welcome them into a family that we have. This amazing love that we get to share. God is calling people from every tribe, language, people, and nation to be part of His kingdom. Let's let our church be the best example of that here in Rochester. Let's be hospitable, inviting what is strange to the world right into our families, right into our church family as a picture of what God says is good and normal. This week the elders met together and we were talking about what's our identity as a church? What are we really good at and where are we going? And we spent an hour just praying, thanking God for all of you. How compassionate you are, how generous you are, how faithful you are and hospitable you are. You guys really love one another. It's incredible. You take care of each other. You model for the world better than any church I've ever been a part of. 
this hope, this welcoming family that everybody here is valuable and worthy to be cared for. This is what the world desires. Lacking this, what we have, that we would meet in a parking lot, is what causes people to riot and protest. Already I saw someone struggling with a child and a person walks across and goes and helps. Somebody was sitting all alone, so someone walked over and said, come sit over by me. This is incredible, guys. You have what the world wants. You have what the world is violently fighting for. So go invite them in. Let them experience what it feels like to be loved and heard. Don't be afraid that they might hurt you. They probably will. And if you do, if they do hurt you, you know that it's all good. It only makes you want Jesus more. You know your heavenly home is secure. So open your earthly home. Invite them to our church home and take front row seats to God's amazing grace at work right before your eyes. Finally, as was supposed to be the focus of this entire message, some of you need to pray about becoming long-term missionaries. Get out of here. Take what you have gotten here, this love, and transplant it to a place in the world where they don't even have a clue what God has done for them in Christ through His Spirit in His church. The reason riots and protests and lockdowns seem so strange to us is because we live in this prosperous little bubble in America, the most prosperous nation in the world's history. What we experienced the last week and last couple of months is actually more common around the world. This is normal life for people in developing countries, especially places where Jesus has never been proclaimed. There's no love church to model the love of Christ. This suffering world needs you to go to it. To know the joy of Christ and warn them of the upcoming judgment. God is working in Christ to save this world. It's a guarantee that it's going to happen. And He's going to use ordinary, faithful people filled by His Spirit, like you, like me, to take that wonderful news of a new creation transformed out of this world. To make Christ known where He is not. We all want to be happy, right? And the greatest happiness you can find is by giving up your life to be on mission for Christ. We talked about how suffering stretches you and makes you long for and be satisfied more in Christ when He returns. If you want the greatest joy possible in this life, on that day, the best way to achieve it is to give up all the comforts you know here. Give up, lose all your hope in finding a spouse here. Give up all the desires of becoming something important here and instead lose it all on the mission field to find your greatest joy in proclaiming Christ among people who are desperate to be known by a loving Heavenly Father. Redemption, let's embrace this opportunity. Let's let it kill our old selves and replace us, replace it with hearts longing for Christ to return as we entrust our souls to God on His gospel mission. Let's pray.
God, my heart breaks for this world. We don't know who's at fault, who started it. There's a mix of sin on every side of every debate. And we're not called to sort it out. We're called to have compassion and to model something different in the church and invite others into it. Let us be a people filled by your Spirit, proclaiming the death of this old world and the rebirth of a new creation in Christ through His Spirit-filled people. God, unify us, bond us together that we could send each other out into this world to make this love known, to save those who are desperate to be known by you. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. Just a reminder that we are going to have a time of communion now. So as the music plays, please come on up on this side, grab a prepackaged cracker, grab your prepackaged wine or juice prepared for you so that you don't need to touch everybody else's or bump into other people and go back to your seat. And when the song is finished, we'll share this moment together.